welcome back. Oh my god, it's been so long. No. Thank you all for being so patient while we were on hiatus. It, yeah. I was super, super busy and I apologize. Anyway, so we are going to start recording. Yeah. Uh, the probably the episode that made us the most excited to even start this podcast. Maybe, I don't know, the, the ones we're, gonna, we're planning to do on sexuality are also probably one of the reasons we started this podcast, but uh, this episode is going to be on religion, which is a really interesting topic in Supernatural and, in fact, um, just in general to us. Yeah, and it also comprises the plot of, like, most of the first five seasons of the show. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, which, like, as you know, are the ones that we care about. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, these, this is, like, a really, really important topic um, and something that is of great interest, uh, particularly uh, also because the TV show for Good Omens just came out, um, which is something that we've both enjoyed for a really long time, the, the book, and then we both saw the TV show, I think, as soon as it came out. <laughs> and so that is also something we're going to use as a foil to talk about religion and really the, the modern interpretation of a pseudo-Christian moralistic version of religion as opposed to a more fundamentalist evangelical view of Christianity, um, particularly in the U.S., um, during the last, like, couple of decades. And I think we should note, I just want it noted for the record, that we did actually come up with the title for this episode before we knew that there was a Good Omens TV show coming out. Oh, that's true. <laughs> we did, didn't we? We predicted this. We, we're, we're very smart. <laughs> now it just seems like it was always part of my consciousness. <laughs> I remember at some point I was like, oh, hey, the Good Omens TV show is coming out at this point, which is like right before we're recording this episode. Isn't that a fun coincidence? Yeah, that worked out really, really well. So in that way, thanks. That's good that we went on the hiatus because it worked out perfect for timing. Yes. Yes. It gave us enough time to like watch it and process. Yeah. So I'm glad that worked out. So uh, I think we should just get into it. Um, yeah. So the episodes we looked at for this are season one, episode 12, Faith, mm -hmm. season two, episode 13, Houses of the Holy, season five, episode six, I believe the children are our future, season five, episode 17, 99 Problems, and season five, episode 22, Swan Song, um, which is, it was a pretty hard decision to just pick five episodes for this the agonized over. oh my god that was this is probably one of the reasons it took us so long to come back from hiatus is just figuring out what episodes we would watch for this faith i think and swan song were easy bets um i really wanted to watch the end for this episode and i will probably reference the end a couple of times in this um but eventually like especially with considering our conversation about good omens and all of that uh the episode, I believe the children are a future, I think, won out over a couple different options. Although we were, we were joking earlier when we were comparing notes how Houses of the Holy and 99 Problems are basically what happened is that Kripke just dusted off the script for Houses of the Holy when he came to 99 yeah. Problems and was hoping that no one would notice. <laughs> 
Like it's exactly the same episode twice. (laughs) Although it's interesting to me how I feel like Houses of the Holy and 99 Problems are, they're basically the same episode, right? But they kind of come to different conclusions. Yeah. It really reflects the difference between season two and season five, I think. Yeah, Houses of the Holy has a very earnest conversation at the end Mm -hmm. that is basically the sort of the question of religion and like the uh, interaction that basically most human beings at this point in time have with the conflict between the rational humanist worldview and a more religious philosophical worldview. I, that was a, like looking back at that. That's a, it's a really touching conversation that see, that Sam and Dean have at the end of at the end of that episode. Whereas the end of Ninety Nine Problems is, I would say, a stronger message, and is much more trying to point to religious hypocrisy and that sort of thing. But it it does end up being a little bit more pointed and a little less philosophical and um, much more about um, the ways that fundamentalist viewpoints have really, in a lot of ways, co-opted some of the ways we we talk about religion and the ways that religion can be used to harm people. Yeah, and I feel like 99 Problems also had this, like, interesting theme running through it. Maybe I'm just, like, reading too much in or projecting here, but I feel like there's this sense of, like, rural decay there. Oh, and 99 um, Problems? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Because when I was watching it, at first I was like, like, how does nobody know about this? Like, why, like, there's the internet, there are cell phones, like, why does no one know about this? But then I thought about, like, how in a lot of small towns, like, there are, like, big problems going on in those places that you would think would be, like, a big deal, and just, like, nobody outside of that place knows about them because the community sort of closes in on itself and tries to deal with the problem by becoming more and more insular. Right. That's a really great point. And it does a good job of pointing to um, some of the like depths of this episode, but also them talking about them being a small religious town, talking about being attacked by demons. Like that's not necessarily something that's going to get picked up by major news channels. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Yeah, the other thing that really struck me about the episodes that we watched in combination was sort of the different depictions of the experience of Christianity in the U.S. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Faith has the, like, pop-up tent revival thing going for it, Mm -hmm. which strikes me as, like, very classically American. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was... Yeah, because like the whole spiritual healer, that sort of thing, is a very American sort of. Well, it's I don't know if it's exclusively an American pheno- phenomenon, but it's definitely something that it looms large in our um, popular imagination. Yeah, yeah. Like when I was watching it this time, I was thinking about how like I wonder if people who are from other parts of the world. When I'm watching it, I like instantly understand what's going on when they hmm. show up there. Yeah. But I wonder if you like don't have that context, does this episode make sense to you? Like yeah. Or is it 
does it feel more out of place or more weird than it actually like it's a weird thing like i'm not saying that everybody in the u.s goes to faith healers but we know as the audience as the american audience when they're driving into the muddy field and you see the tent before you see any of the signs or anything you know what the context for this is and that it's going to be a faith healer yeah so i mean they, they explicitly talk about it a couple of seconds later so i think that if you weren't you weren't aware of that imagery. You probably aren't too far behind the anybody else, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, there's a lot of context that goes along with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's like this whole subculture surrounding that that's really interesting. Yeah, have time to go into. But. Yeah, and it's also interesting because there's there's a clear division in this and Good Omens about the sort of what everybody in popular culture and mainstream culture knows about religion versus mm. um, what religious people know about religion. And Supernatural really heavily borrows from a much more populist, mainstream version of Christianity, clearly and consistently condemns the sort of fundamentalist evangelical branch of Christianity. But there are even things that like, if you are a little bit more involved with religion and church in the US, like, one of the things that like we have talked about s- several times is the overuse of catholic imagery and the fact we're you're about to talk about like the different versions of christianity that are represented here and you've got the faith healer and then of the next episodes that portray religious figures two of them are lutheran and the other is catholic like there is a very specific subset of religion and popular imagery of religion that supernatural is drawing from here yeah, and I feel like that shift in some ways might reflect, you know, like seasons one and two were more the American folk tales, mm-hmm. retold as horror stories kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas like seasons three, four, and five are much more heavily invested in this ongoing narrative about the apocalypse. And drawing on Judeo-Christian tradition. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like maybe part of the shift that we see there in terms of the story it's telling is also the shift we're seeing in terms of the religious denominations it's drawing on really heavily. Yeah, it's interesting because the earlier two episodes, Faith and Houses of the Holy, which are in season one and season two respectively, end up with a pretty pro-spiritualism at the very least uh, position. Like, at the end of Faith, Dean tells Layla that he's going to pray for her, which is really, really funny when you, like, contrast that immediately with Houses of the Holy, where he's, like, making fun of Sam for praying every day. Well, not making fun, but just shocked that Sam prays every day and, like, is clearly very atheist and, like, very anti, not anti-religious, but just, like, that's not his sort of thing. And, again, with Houses of the Holy, you end up with him sort of, questioning his atheistic stance and the character um who gets killed in houses of the holy with a like the rod through his chest is something that dean sees as a possible proof of god actually like having a hand in things because he couldn't he said he if he didn't see him die that way with his own eyes he wouldn't believe it mm-hmm. so um, which also ties in with the whole like seeing is believing stance right. that he's got. So I think that it's really interesting that those earlier episodes end with Dean in particular, who is the continuous step skeptic in all things. 
mm-hmm. uh, when compared with Sam, really questioning his skeptic stance. Whereas once we get into season five, which all of the other episodes that we looked at for this episode of the podcast are in season five, mm-hmm. that really shifts. And I think part of that is honestly just the fact that they have much more interaction with the divine now. Like mm-hmm. before in season two, Dean didn't even believe when they were talking in the Houses of the Holy about angels. And then by season five, episode six, he's referring to Castiel as his buddy. So, like, there's a huge (laughs) shift in these characters. So I think that the tone of the show has to change and, like, how they're dealing with... There's a very big difference between dealing with very common human experiences of questioning religion and questioning one's place in the universe in an abstract sense, and then having a show where there are angels and that that really puts it in a certain light where you have to talk about things in a certain way. Something that also really struck me, especially in the contrast of watching Faith and then Houses of the Holy, like, Mm -hmm. right next to each other, is how insecure Sam is in his faith. Like, his faith wavers so easily. Yeah. in, In contrast to a character like Layla, who's, like, unwavering to a fault. Oh, I don't know if, I don't know if she's necessarily unwavering to a fault. I wouldn't, yeah. I would say that at the end of mm-hmm. Layla, out of everyone involved with the situation, Layla's the only one who comes out of it looking like the, a good person. Well, Sam, but it's okay. Yeah. Um, but she's the one who is terminally ill. She doesn't get healed. She's very gracious, even in her disappointment mm-hmm. when talking with Dean about um, the fact that he got healed and she didn't. Mm-hmm. And in the end, she really says the line that I think most people feel about, most people who have faith feel about faith, is that you have to have faith even when the miracles aren't there. Right. And I think that faith as an episode paints Layla very well. And I think that it it is probably one of the most sympathetic portrayals of somebody uh, in Supernatural uh, that we see of somebody of faith. Um, other than pastors and preachers. And and I think that it's really an important thing to contrast Layla's faith with Sam's faith in Houses of the Holy because Sam explicitly says that he uses faith to sort of deal with all the things he's seen in his life and deal with hunting Mm -hmm. and with Jessica's death and that sort of thing. And I think that's a really interesting thing to contrast with Layla who doesn't see faith, her faith as a way of dealing with her problem, but is more of like just a th- fundamental thing to who she is, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I think I phrased that badly. Sam is just very, like it really stands out how Sam, one ghost to be a ghost and not an angel. And it's like, well, this seems... Yeah, like the, the fact that that ghost was not an angel doesn't disprove that there are angels. And I was right. like kind of expecting Dean to make that, that argument to him. But yeah. I do think it is really interesting when what Dean says to comfort him because Houses of the Holy is all about the contrast between the rational humanist worldview and a religious worldview. And Dean mm-hmm. continuously represents that. And so when Sam is like having a crisis of faith, the comfort that Dean offers him is that, look, I'm here to watch over you, mm-hmm. which is a very like humanist like response because it's like, hey, you may not have a relationship with God, but you have a relationship with me and your he doesn't say your fellow human beings, but. And then 
Sam responds with, well, you're only one person, which is sort of the, the counter argument implication that humanity isn't up to the task of replacing the divine in human's life. Right. Um, so I thought that that whole exchange was just really interesting as far as like a yeah. really well done um, conversation that I think a lot of people have at some point in their lives about the relationship between a rational humanist scientific worldview and a more religious traditional one. Obviously the Winchester's extreme social isolation plays <laughs> a role here. Yes. Like um, Dean being just one person not isn't enough for Sam, but that's like gotta be at least partially because Dean isn't just one person. Dean is his only person. That's a fair point. <laughs> sort of getting back onto like our main point of mm-hmm. conversation here. It is interesting the number of times that Supernatural explicitly calls out religious fundamentalism and religious hypocrisy. One of the things that really, stri- one moment that really stood out for me is in I Believe the Children Are Our Future. Castiel mm-hmm. explicitly says your Bible gets more wrong than it gets right. Which, mm-hmm. like, I Believe the Children Are Our Future deals with the Antichrist and it deals with a lot of serious Christian stuff. Like, this is, like, not stuff that Christians tend to take lightly. Uh, well, it depends on what denomination you are. I shouldn't speak for all Christians, but depending on how you see the Bible, Antichrist is kind of a big fucking deal. <laughs> um, and yeah. for the most part, I Believe the Children in Our Future is a very funny episode that plays most of its gaffes mm-hmm. for laughs. A lot of the stuff is contrasts really strongly between really funny things with the like very childish um, pranks coming to life. And mm-hmm. then you've got the conversation yeah. with the Antichrist's mother. And like that is some of the best acting I've seen in Supernatural when she's talking about the experience of giving birth to Jesse and like it's really it's filmed really claustrophobically there's lots of like really close views on her face and lots of shaky cam which the early seasons of Supernatural love shaky cam (laughs) oh man the early to mid 2000s I know I know but it's just it's a really interesting episode because for the most part it doesn't actually talk about the like implications of the Antichrist or any of the things that I think most people would associate with when you have a conversation about something like an antichrist. Mm -hmm. There's so much like religious stuff to dig into and it doesn't really do that. It talks about it mostly from a humanist perspective of a little boy who doesn't know what's happening to him and has to make decisions that are well beyond his age. And then they sort of like just sneak this line in here from Castiel where it's like, your Bible gets more wrong than it gets right. And it's like, oh, I like, I had to pause the episode. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> I mean, maybe just because I grew up in a really religious area, but that was just, it's like a really serious stance for a TV show to actually make, in my opinion. <laughs> then it makes it sort of casually. I don't know. Yeah. it. I think what strikes me about that line is that Supernatural in many ways uses I would say that Supernatural uses other literature about the apocalypse that uses the book of revelations as a roadmap as a roadmap that's yeah, no it's, sense. <laughs> it's responding to a much more of a popular concept of what mm-hmm. um, the book of revelation discusses and that sort of thing one of the things that's really interesting to me about uh popular imaginations of 
apocalypse and especially uh, Christian apocalypse and Christian lore in general is that a lot of it doesn't come from the Bible. Um, a lot of it comes from the early Christian writers, the early Christian philosophers, St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas. There is as much like church, uh, well, Catholic church sanctioned lore about Christianity as there are books of the Bible, if not more. And then there's also another layer of things about Christian, like written works about Christianity that are not part of any church canon, but are very much in the popular imagination, like Mm -hmm. John Milton's Paradise Lost, which is where a lot of um, traditional names of demons come from, like Beelzebub and Bilal and uh, Dagon. Those are all things, they were names that existed before Milton, but he, like Paradise Lost is really what popularized those names as associated with demons and the concept of demons like eight fallen angels being demons and that lucifer fell before the the garden of eden is all like stuff that as a concept somewhat existed before milton but it's really paradise lost where we start to see that concept of how the judeo-christian tradition works that being a huge part of it and that being part of just like the story that everybody knows medieval belief systems definitely had some concept of that but honestly the whole idea of like whether satan was at one point an angel or not was just like not that important to them but i think that your point about supernatural really is something that is reacting to reactions of reactions like there's an entire like many layer tradition here when we're talking about popular imagination of Judeo-Christian faith that it's responding to. And then like, in a lot of ways, one of the things that Supernatural is responding to is Good Omens. Watching the TV show after it being a while since I read Good Omens, I was so struck by how closely the first five seasons of Supernatural basically just directly follow the Good Omens format. Like, first, yeah, like, especially the later three seasons of um, Supernatural are basically the same as Good Omens. We just have to replace Aziraphale as Castiel. And then, I mean, you got to do some, like, rearranging with, like, Crowley versus Dean and, like, Adam versus Sam. But, like, ultimately, what we end up with is, like, a renegade group of people that are made of mixed divinity, like mixed mortal, trying to stop the apocalypse. And (laughs) the person who's supposed to start the apocalypse is involved with stopping the apocalypse. There are so many parallels between Good Omens and Supernatural, and particularly at the end, like the message that Good Omens and Supernatural are both trying to send. Right. Yeah, I feel like Good Omens has a very, has a much clearer humanist message, whereas Supernatural is much more interested, in my opinion, in this idea of rejecting patriarchal authority, but also operating in accordance with it some of the time, sometimes without realizing that you're doing it. I mean, I think that that's in Good Omens, too. Yeah, but I feel like it's less important in Good Omens, whereas uh, to me, Supernatural, it feels like this idea of, like, humanism is just not as 
deliberately set forward as in good omens and i feel like in good omens that like heavenly patriarchal authority thing is just like part of that overall humanist message Mm. whereas in supernatural it feels like that's the focus in supernatural the focus is on wrestling with patriarchal authority Uh. as opposed to like the humanism of good omens yeah like good omens has that too but it's part of it's overall good omens is is very very fundamentally humanist especially considering that ultimately aziraphale and crowley don't really have any contribution whatsoever to the apocalypse other than crowley mixing up confusing the nuns and mixing up the babies at um the nunnery but even that is like more the nuns than crowley um and the fact that crowley and aziraphale ultimately don't really do anything but um it's adam that really makes the decision and he is the article we had read an article for um this episode of the podcast that talked about good omens and i made the claim that adam since he is the antichrist is not is not representation of humanity and thus ultimately good omens has the message that humanity is not enough to deal with sort of the result of the apocalypse and the end divinity and that sort of stuff but i would make the argument that like the book literally calls him human incarnate which is actually an argument that (laughs) humans are um the ones who have stopped the apocalypse whereas i mean i think that the message of the of supernatural's apocalypse is is also very very humanist like at the very end chuck says specifically like dean and sam chose family and isn't that the kind of the whole point um and it's i mean this is like the the frame with which supernatural does everything which is within the context of family and making and reducing the whole human experience down to like family ties and like Mm -hmm. navigating those um but I would make the argument that, like, Supernatural's end message in season five is just as humanist as the one in, um, in, in Good Omens. I mean, the, the, I think the primary difference is that Castiel is a lot more helpful than either Crowley or Aziraphil is. Yeah. But, I mean, ultimately, he's not really the one who makes any effective change. Mm-hmm. It's all Sam and Dean. Yeah, but I feel like... In Good Omens, we, like, don't know God's opinion, right? Like, we just don't know. Whereas but, I mean, in- we do. We know as much about God in Good Omens as we do about God in Supernatural. Wait, but in Supernatural, God talks directly to us. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking of the, the TV show for Good Omens. Uh, the book is a bit different. Yeah, the book's a bit, I was thinking of the book, sorry. Yeah. That's fair. In the TV show, we do have Francis, Francis McDormand explicitly yeah. mm-hmm. saying things. But, I mean, even, you'll have to correct me if this isn't in the book, but at the end, when um, they're facing down, like, mm-hmm. the armies of heaven and hell in Good Omens, isn't there a bit where, where Aziraphale steps in and basically asks if the, if it, the plan that everybody's following is the ineffable plan. Like, that still Um, happens in the book, right? I think so. I think so. I don't remember exactly. But I think, like, the key thing here is that, like, Aziraphale's questioning that, right? But, like, nobody has a real answer. 
you know, like in supernatural, like God is like talking to us and is like free will. It's all about like humans being able to make these choices for themselves and like free will is like so important. But Chuck still interferes. Well, to the extent that a human would be able to, well, a human who was a prophet, except for like bringing people back to life. Yeah, he keeps doing that to Castiel. He's like, oh no, Castiel can't die. He's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) The big difference is good omens, at least the book, like in the book, God is just like not present. Like we don't see God at any point. That's true. So there's kind of this sense of like, it almost doesn't matter what God planned or didn't plan, like Mm. what the ineffable plan was. Whereas... Supernatural explicitly gives you the word of God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, that, yeah, I mean, I would, the only argument I would make to that is that the TV show For Good Omens does explicitly yeah. give you the word of God. And a lot of the, um, the, the lines that the narrator says in the Good Omens book are thus given to Francis McDormand as God. Right. And so I think that there, there is an argument to be made that in the can like the in the original book for good omens that the narrator is god which is not something that the good omens actually ever explicitly says in the book right. so that's something that you like retroactively could interpret with reason mm-hmm. now that, that we have the tv show as an additional source material but of course then we're applying a lot of neil gaiman's interpretation of that work explicitly on something that he wrote with terry pratchett so, right. well, and like, like death, of death of the author. Of the author. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, you have a good point that obviously these are not unrelated things, but I feel like they are separate, you know? Like, yeah, no, I do agree with that. I mean, yeah. the thing is, there were a lot of things that were changed between the book and the TV show. Um, mostly because I think that the book was written in the early 90s and the TV show came out in 2019. Clearly, there have been some updates to um, the concept of Good Omens for the TV show. Yeah, yeah. And I think there are some good posts floating around Tumblr and Twitter as well about how the original book had sort of a Cold War feel to it, um, whereas, like, the modern... TV series is like that's just like so far removed from our current context um, that it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, I I mean, when I was rereading the book a couple weeks ago, that is not what was on my mind. (laughs) Cold War was not anything I interpreted out of the book. Um, Like two great powers who are opposed for reasons that nobody can really remember or understand, and they should just let everyday people get on with their lives. Um, And that's the solution is, feels a lot more like close of the Cold War than like like modern day America to me. Oh, I 100% agree with that. Uh, Now that you've pointed it out. I I definitely agree. It just <laughs> it was not something that like was at the forefront of my mind when I was reading it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> An effect of 
having that presence of God in the TV series of Good Omens is that it ends up being slightly less humanist than the book because it feels important to me that ultimately in the book, it like doesn't really matter what the ineffable plan was. Like it feels really important to me that it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, This feeling of like, it doesn't really matter how we got here. It's what we do with it feels really fundamental to the book's humanist Mm -hmm. stance. Mm -hmm. I feel like that isn't, present to the same degree in the TV show because we we know. Yeah, that's fair. But it is really interesting to think about the relationship that Supernatural has to Good Omens. Um, I have honestly no idea how much Kripke knew about Good Omens, whether he'd read it or anything like that before he wrote the first five seasons of Supernatural. I but feel one like, can only imagine that he had read it at some point. <laughs> like, it's really hard to believe that he hadn't because it's they're just like so similar, right? Like, and I mean, they're like that sort of narrative is one that is there to for the taking. Um, it right. makes a lot of sense in the kind of world that we live in right now, where you would, or at some point would people would talk about like the humanistic approach to what if the apocalypse were to happen now and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of apocalypse fiction like there's stuff everything from like the left behind series all the way to like um stuff like this and Mm -hmm. just post-apocalyptic stuff in general is very very popular from Mm -hmm. like walking dead-esque sort of stuff as well so the fact that there's a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff and the Judeo-Christian like tradition is really strong in the United States. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that there would be a lot of things about this sort of thing and that some of them would look pretty similar, but <laughs> it's, uh, I wonder how like Neil Gaiman feels about it. I wonder if he's ever seen Supernatural. I feel like he has to like at least be aware because he's like active on social media he is so i recently yeah i recently started following him and i'm amazed at how much like he actually like responds to tweets and tumblr posts and i'm like whoa (laughs) that's the most active i've ever seen an author be in their fandom yeah yeah he's like very engaged um and so like i'm sure somebody has brought it up to him at some point i mean like it's it's not so much the like overall like message and themes and plot that makes me convinced that yes Kripke had to have read Good Omens it's like the little details like a demon named Crowley who wants to stop the apocalypse it's like well yeah I mean the thing is is that like that's so on the nose that it makes me wonder like okay so we've got Castiel who's an angel but Castiel and Aziraphale are nothing alike yeah, the sort of the more the other angels are a little bit more similar. The angels play similar similar roles, but the supernatural Crowley and the Good Omens Crowley are very different characters and play very different roles. Like Crowley in Supernatural is a bit character. He yeah. he has a couple of like important roles, 
but there's nothing fundamental about Crowley that makes any difference to like he's the king of the crossroads there are things that he does that moves the plot forward and there are things he does for his own reasons and who he has as a character but those are mostly things that they could have gotten around through other means yeah I wonder though if that isn't partially to do with Supernatural's stronger focus on its human characters Obviously, Castiel is a much more important character than Crowley, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like like that's pretty easily explainable because of the way Kripke sets up Dean and Sam's roles. Right. And, like, a, maybe a closer mirror for Crowley, if, if we're thinking of Castiel as Aziraphale, maybe a closer mirror would be Ruby. Honestly, I think that Dean is a, well, Dean's an actual active player, whereas Crowley never is. So I could see it, like, Ruby does fit the bill a lot better than uh, Supernatural Crowley. Um, But even so, like, Ruby is way more active than Good Omens Crowley ever is. Like, (laughs) like they're, like... Yeah. In Good Omens, Crowley and Aziraphale are just sort of, like, bumbling along, trying really ineffectively to do anything. Whereas, like, in Supernatural, Ruby gets shit done. <laughs> like... <laughs> That's true. That's true. In, in Supernatural, the forces of heaven and hell are much more effective at yes. um, moving the apocalypse forward instead of just sort of, like, I guess this is happening now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, the thing about Good Omens is that Aziraphale and Crowley are the only representatives of of heaven or hell that we see on Earth, who are on Earth regularly. It seems like, in a lot of ways, that's sort of, like, their primary job is, like, dealing with Earth. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. they're really the, like, ones we see doing stuff. Right. <laughs> it means that they're not very effective. Um, whereas, you you've got... Also, I think that this comes from the fact that Supernatural is just a lot more source material. Um, Even just if we're looking at the five seasons, that's a lot more stuff that has happened. Yeah. Even if we're just looking at two or three seasons of TV, like like the Good Omens book got adapted into a six-episode TV series, which are there. Each episode's an hour long, so it's a lot. But, like, compared to the amount of runtime Supernatural has... Like, you just have so much more time to have more characters. And so Supernatural does, like, a good job of having a lot of different angel and demon characters that do Mm -hmm. have various efficacies and various points. And, like, you've got everything from, like, Anna to Raphael and, like, (laughs) Gabriel even. (laughs) I cannot get over how different Gabriel is in Good Omens versus Supernatural. Um, They're polar (laughs) opposites. They're polar opposites. I think, uh, can we just digress for a second of into course. the, like, TV adaptation of Good Omens, Gabriel? Like, he's, like, barely present in the book, right? Like, No, just, Gabriel doesn't exist in the book. He's a completely... I think there's, like, a mention of him at some there's point. There's a mention of him. The fact yeah. that he exists. Yeah, but he's not a character that you ever see in the book. Right, right. And, like, he has such an important role in the TV show, and they do such a good job with making him really, really enjoyable to hate. Yeah, John Hamm does a good job, and he's the, like, he's the worst asshole boss you've ever had, like, times a thousand. 
yeah. He's so awful. Yeah. <laughs> and like in in contrast to Supernatural's Gabriel, who is also kind of an asshole. Oh, also an asshole, but like the opposite end of the spectrum of assholes, like the like trickster, good intentions sort of, but mostly just does it for a laugh sort of thing, as opposed to the like, like, like power trip that you want to go get a beer with, but that you wish you didn't have to work with. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, the difference between those is is. Clear, it's clear that Neil Gaiman, at the very least, does not watch Supernatural. <laughs> or if he does, he's, he's thinking absolutely. Or if he does, he's different. like, let's do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe he's like, uh, going to do something completely different. Um, but yeah, so I, I think Supernatural just has a lot more, like, runtime to play with. Um, and it, uh, I think it's interesting that, like, um, in a lot of ways, Sam and Dean are both Adam. Um, Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with Adam, their half brother, who also plays a role in season five of Supernatural. Right. So he's gonna get or like Jesse, who is the Antichrist. Right. It's like <laughs> we're gonna have to be very careful with what names we're like. We're gonna be very clear with who we're referring to in all of this because there's so many overlaps in like names of characters that um, <laughs> the Supernatural Adam then ends up becoming the the host for Michael, which is really interesting. So it's interesting to see, I think Supernatural does put a lot of um, effort and like emphasis on the team free will and the fact that humans have a huge role to, it's ultimately Dean and Sam who save the world because of the love they have for each other and the love they have for like their life and that sort of thing. Yes. And what a moment, like, I don't know, that moment when, like, the weird opening about the Impala finally makes sense. Yeah. I I really like the way Swan Song is, uh, is done. Um, the battle between, uh, Lucifer Sam and Michael Adam is, uh, bad. It's just bad. Like, uh, I can't remember the actor's name for... Adam from Supernatural, and I apologize deeply to him as an actor, but he uh, he doesn't quite sell it very well. And uh, I've seen better acting from Jared Padalecki. <laughs> the narrative that Chuck gives us is a very compelling one. It is very, really, very nice as, like, especially because this was supposed to be the last episode of the series. Like, it does a really great job. You almost don't really need the Michael versus Lucifer battle to be convincing because that's not really like where you're emotionally invested at this point. You know, it's like I'm I'm a lot more invested in like Dean lying bleeding on the ground and like Right. And like the interplay between Dean and Sam is like really what we're here for. Right. Right. So like we don't we almost don't need Michael and Lucifer's relationship to be that interesting. Older. Well, they do have that converse, like Lucifer and Michael do have that conversation with each other where Lucifer is like, why are we doing this? Which right. uh, is also is great because like one of the things that is consistent throughout both Good Omens and Supernatural is that like the demons, at least Lucifer and Supernatural and Crowley and Good Omens, things that they cite as like the reason that they fell and like, the reason that um, 
they are demons is that they were questioning of God's plan, which is right. interesting because that's the thing that the humans need to do in both of these works in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that the way that Crowley in Good Omens is redeemed as a demon is because a, he's not actually that much of a, he's not that good at being a demon, but also like, at least in the TV show, they, he really explicitly says multiple times. The reason I fell is because I was curious because I was like questioning um, the plan of God in supernatural. We see Lucifer doing a lot of the similar thing. And Lucifer's a lot less of a sincere character than Good Omens' Crowley is. <laughs> and there's that bit in the end, uh, which I love, where uh, Lucifer is trying to convince Dean. He says a lot of different stuff, but basically he, one of the things that he says is that I don't lie. Um, which I, I really like that Supernatural's Lucifer is, like, inverts that trope. Like, rather, like, he is, like, the father of lies. And even though he's like, he never actually, you never catch him in a lie. Somehow you feel like you're li he's lying to you all the time. Yeah, know? he's very, he's kind of drawing on that like classic, like, um, fair folk trope of being very good at being manipulative without actually. And without actually lying, yeah. Without actually lying. Well, like you're not telling the truth, but. <laughs> yeah, but are you actually like explicitly lying? I think that that conversation between Lucifer and Michael in Swan Song is really interesting because basically have the conversation that's like, why are we doing this? Why are we fought? Like, yeah. it's um, in a lot of ways, it's a lot more explicit than the conversation in Good Omens. Like the conversation, like Good Omens never actually has that conversation between anybody but Crowley and Aziraphale. But like there are bits and pieces where you where you can interpret that um, heaven and hell, especially like the layer of heaven and hell that we see, which is the angels and demons, mm -hmm. aren't really, sh aren't any more sure what's going on than many of the mortal characters. They're just doing what the party line is and going along because that's what they think they have to do. And it's not until like somebody begins questioning that, whether it's mortals or divine, that's when things start changing and happening. And with that, we're going to end part one of our episode about religion part two will be available to you guys soon um and we really really appreciate all of our wonderful listeners who have stuck with us through our very long hiatus and we hope to be getting back to a much more regular release schedule so thank you guys so much for listening and we will be in your feed soon dreams of the past podcast is written researched and produced by ray and mish you can reach them on Twitter at dreamspastpod, Tumblr at dreamsofthepastpodcast.tumblr.com, and email at dreamsofthepastpodcast at gmail.com. Dreams of the Past Podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Please rate and review us. Thanks to Benjamin Geyer and Lynn Music for our theme song, Lonesome Ranger.